0: Good morning. morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I sometimes wonder how often you and I, people who go to church, think about um, the passages that we read on Sunday, these lessons that are prescribed to us by the lectionary. I wonder how often we just simply come to church and we allow these passages to kind of wash over us without ever really taking into account why we are reading them and when we are reading them. Now, I grew up in a community of faith that did not use a lectionary. And so, there was really no telling what the pastor would preach on, on any particular Sunday. But as I look back on my over two decades in this community, what I realize is that if I'm honest, maybe only 20% of the Bible was ever really read out loud or preached on in this community. And even uh, more surprising was that the pastor would generally begin by saying something like, this is what God has led me to preach on. And so not only did I think that this was the pastor's favorite portions of the Scripture, but this was also God's favorite. That there was somehow this 20% of Scripture that was more important, that should be elevated above the rest. And so I found myself gravitating towards these passages and building my theology around them because these were the passages that I read at church and that were read to me at church, and they were preached upon. And so imagine my surprise when I came to the Episcopal Church and suddenly there was this book that was telling me what we would read and eventually what I would have to preach on. And yet, I love the lectionary. I love the safeguard that it puts up for us as a community. I love the reminder of it to help us to know that all of the stories in the Scripture are important. And we should read everything that is there. In the span of about three years, we get something like 85 to 90% of the scriptures read aloud to us if we attend every single week of church. And there are certainly portions of, you know, directions to certain places or lineages, things that uh, the content is not necessarily this. It's just different. And you would probably leave here if we read it to you. (laughs) you know, in in large swaths. But the thing that I'm trying to tell you is that these things are important. These stories are important. And the lectionary calls us to collective focus and reflection. And we also, along with the lectionary, follow a church calendar. And so we, we read these stories at specific times so that we will reflect on these same things together. We begin in Advent and we make our way to Easter and we follow the path of Jesus Christ in his early er, earthly ministry. And from year A to year B to year C, we look at different gospel accounts so that we can see all of these different testimonies of who Jesus was and what he did on the earth. And today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. And next week is Palm Sunday. And if you look back, I won't quiz you, but if you look back over the last couple of weeks, there is a logical logical trajectory of where we have been and where we are going. In the first Sunday of Lent, we read about the baptism of our Lord, followed directly by Jesus' temptation out in the wilderness. In the second week, we learned that Jesus rebuked the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees, and then predicted his own death. In the third Sunday of Lent, we read about the parable of the fig tree and we heard Jesus' call for all to repent and to bear fruit. And last week, we read the Pharisees and the religious leaders complain about who Jesus spent his time with. And we heard Jesus' response in the parable Of the prodigal son. If you think about it for even just a few moments, you might see what is happening in these passages. We've learned about the preparation of Jesus' ministry. We've learned about the birth of it and Jesus' knowing prediction of where his ministry was headed. We have heard Jesus' central message of repentance and bearing fruit. And we have learned the importance of second chances last week. Which we all need time and time again. So, then, what is the logical story this week that we would read? This week, our gospel passage is a burial story. The story that we've read this morning is an intimate one. Jesus has come to Bethany because Lazarus, his friend, was sick. And he was sick to the point of death, and he could have come even more quickly, but he waited two days, and Lazarus has died, and Jesus has come, and he has raised him from the dead. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles in all of the gospel. And everyone who has observed this happening, this event, basically falls into two camps there are those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead and they have said, we believe and we will follow Jesus. And the second camp are made afraid and they have went to the religious leaders and they have told them what Jesus has done. And the religious leaders have begun to plot Jesus's death. These are two extreme camps. I believe I want this man dead. And so just before the passage that we've read this morning, what we learn is that Jesus' ministry has changed dramatically at this point because he is no longer able to walk about from town to town publicly because people are looking to kill him. And the first part of John, the first 12 chapters, spans nearly three years. The next eight chapters will span about six days. In other words, this story is about to pick up steam very, very quickly. And so six days before the Passover, Jesus is back in Bethany, and he is in a home with some of his closest friends and his disciples. This is an intimate peek into the life of Jesus This is not some formal moment. There is not really teaching that is happening here. Jesus is not there to perform miracles or do some sort of public ministry. He is just there with the people who he loves. And I love this story because it is a private moment. It is an intimate moment. It's unlike many of the other stories in the Gospels. And all my life as I have read this passage, I have imagined it in a certain way. When I was a young boy, one of my favorite places in the world to go was my grandmother's house. I just absolutely loved it. My grandmother lived about 30 minutes away. I lived in Pace, she lived in Pensacola, and that journey might as well have been 12 hours to me as a young boy. And I would go to my grandmother's house on special occasions, and my family on my mom's side is very large. She has eight brothers and sisters, and everyone has multiple children. And to be honest with you, everyone has multiple marriages, and so there's multiple children (laughs) from multiple marriages. And each year, it's like the family just kept growing and growing and growing. And yet, these were some of the people who I loved the most in the world. And yet, I did not get to see them very often. And so there were these times of the year. In June, we would have a family reunion In November, we would gather for Thanksgiving. At at Christmas, in December, we would gather. And so there were these kind of moments during the year where I would look forward to gathering with these people in this little tiny red brick house. And she lived on a corner lot, and it was this big space of green with just this little red brick house in the middle. But inside, there was probably 60 people. And in the living room, there were couches. My grandmother just kept buying couches (laughs) because she needed them. And there was an open divider between that living room and that dining room where her small wooden table would be. And so people would be sitting on those couches, and there were four wooden chairs that went with this table, but we had gathered any chair that we could find, the metal folding ones, ones from the computer room. We'd get 20 chairs around that little wooden table while my grandmother would cook us a meal and while other family members would bring dishes. And I loved these moments because I would see the people who I loved, who I had missed, and I would hear the stories of what they had been up to and what they planned to be up to in the time ahead. And they were these rare moments. And so when I read this story in the gospel today, this is the place that I imagine Jesus sitting with his friends in my grandmother's kitchen, surrounded by lots of couches and computer chairs and folding chairs, and all of these people gathered together for this one beautiful moment where they they will just simply be with each other. the moment is rather ordinary. Jesus is sitting there. The text tells us that Martha is serving. Lazarus is sitting at the table. I don't know how they're talking about anything else besides that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. It seems like there's not another headline that would top that story. And we don't know from this specific account, Who of the disciples are there? It's a a good chance that all of them. We know from this text specifically that Judas is there. But this story is told in all four of the Gospels with different details. And so Jesus is at the table. Martha is serving. The disciples and Lazarus are sitting there. And once again, it is an ordinary moment. And then Mary enters the room. She's carrying an expensive bottle of perfume and she kneels at Jesus' feet, and she begins to wash his feet, and now the moment is changing, it's different. Now, it's not unusual at this time, and this point in history, to wash a guest's feet. You know, they wore sandals, they traveled long distances, like washing someone's feet, or at least providing a place for them to wash their feet was basic hospitality. But here comes Mary with a bottle of perfume worth 300 denarii. And she leans down and she gathers herself at Jesus' feet and she begins to break open the bottle. And as she is washing his feet with this perfume, she uses her hair instead of a cloth. The moment is getting more and more intimate. And everyone else must be silent, except Judas. Now, what's interesting is that in the other gospel accounts, many of the disciples have an objection But the Gospel of John is the latest of the Gospels. And Judas has been solidified in the community as the villain of the story. And it is a rare occurrence that we find out not only what Judas said, but why he was saying it. The text actually has parentheses. (laughs) Judas says, couldn't this have been sold to care for the poor? And the narrator tells us that he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And for some reason, I imagine Morgan Freeman reading this to me. (laughs) So there's this moment. And what's interesting is that Mary is not a disciple in the traditional sense, and yet, in this moment, she's the only one, the only one who truly understands what Jesus is there to do. The rest of the disciples are still taken off guard by this idea that Jesus has not come to overturn power, He has not come as a great warrior or as a king, but he has come as one who will lay down his life so that others may live. And the rest of the disciples are too busy being served and eating, and Mary is there preparing Jesus for his burial. And so at one side of the spectrum, we have the most faithful disciple. And then in the same story, the opposite end of the spectrum, Judas, the one who would betray him, the least faithful disciple. In our hearts, we are preparing ourselves for Palm Sunday. And as we read the story, what I hope you will see is that this is more than just a burial story. This is a story about the spectrum of discipleship and that Jesus, at whatever table he is sitting, welcomes you, no matter which side of the spectrum you exist on, whether it be the most faithful or the most unfaithful what's interesting is is that all throughout my life as i have read this passage and other passage i have always tried to imagine who i am in the story and maybe you are doing this too but the truth is is that you and i are neither mary or judas or anyone else at this table we are ourselves and we are a complicated mix of all of these disciples the most faithful and also the most unfaithful. And the good news of Lent is that there is room at this table for you and for all of us, the most faithful and the least faithful. And not only at this table, but also in the larger redemption story that God is telling throughout history. There is room for you, and your place at that table And in that story is not dependent upon your faithfulness, but on the invitation of God that welcomes everyone to come, to sit, to dine, to wash feet, and to have our feet washed. Amen.